Well, we're going to read the entirety of Psalm 24, but I'll break it up and we'll talk about each portion of it. So Psalm 24 starts with this. It says, the earth, is the, uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. So the psalm starts with this declaration of who God is. God is the, the creator. He is the creator of all things. He is the creator of all people. He's the creator of all mankind. And really, the intention or the thought is that, you know, the created are drawn to the creator. When you understand the context of this psalm, which we're going to look at in a minute, that's really the pull, is that God created us and that we are created to live in fellowship with him and with one another. And so the psalm goes on and it says this. It asks a question. It says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in idols or swear by false gods, they will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. It's interesting because the psalm kind of starts when we're talking about having a relationship with God. The psalm kind of starts with this laundry list of things that mankind needed to do in order to reach the holy mountain of God. In other, in other words, in order to be in relationship with God, here is the things that you need to do and achieve in your life, okay? So it kind of lays it out. It talks about these different things. It talks about, a, you know, it goes through this list. And, and really, it's kind of a list laid out by a thing called the law. And the law is kind of the Old Testament book uh, books of the Bible that basically lay out, here's the commands, here's how we walk with God, here's how, if you want to reach God, mankind, here's what you need to do and here's what you need to achieve. So let's look at this list, and before I even go to this list, I want you to understand, uh, this list is going to be a bit overwhelming. It's kind of meant to be. <laughs> it's kind of meant to be, oh my gosh, how am I doing on the list? Well, let's check out the list and see how you're doing. You can rate yourself as you go along. But be careful. Uh, I'm just going to warn you that everyone falls short of the list. So here's the list. A people with clean hands. And that, you know, of course means keeping ourselves from the, the, you know, the gross acts of sin that can come and invade and be part of our lives. The pollutants of this world. It's kind of like this outward practice of holiness is the first part of the list. I mean, when you think about it, you know, people with clean hands. How many of you would want to be served by somebody with dirty hands? If you've ever been in a restaurant, I, I was kind of picturing in my mind the worst scenario I could think of in a restaurant. So I saw myself on a vacation traveling kind of to this one-horse town. I come to this town, and there's this little diner there. And uh, I walk in the diner, and there's really nobody kind of working except the cook. He's working. And he's wearing like one of those sleeveless shirts. And he's got a five o'clock shadow, but it's been a five o'clock for about a week. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's a rough looking dude. He's got a cigar in his corner of his mouth and he's in the back cooking and you can see him and he's got mustard stains and all kinds of stuff on his shirt. And you're like, holy smokes. And then he comes out, he's got a spatula in one hand, his cigar in his mouth. He's got his pad and his pen and uh, he comes out to take your order. 
And then, he, you know, he's trying to write and he's trying to figure it out. He has nowhere to put his spatula, so he sticks it under his arm so that he can write your order. Now, how many of you would suddenly say, you know what, we just thank <laughs> I'm not hungry anymore. Thank you for your time. We're going to just move on. How many would stay in that situation? Anyone? Anyone? I'll have water. No. You know, you understand, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. And this is what the text is saying. You know, if you want to reach God, if you want to come to God, you have to be a people of clean hands. And, and we're, not, we're not spotted by the outward pollutants of sin in our life. Well, it goes on. Here's the second thing in the list. It says it's a people with pure hearts. So the first one was about the outward, uh, and this, this one's now about the inward. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And pure heart means, you know, you can, you can make the outside look okay, but unless the inside is pure, then, then, then you're never really going to ever be able to reach God. And so this is what this is telling us. You know, and we go through this, you know, um, singular in focus is what it means to be pure in heart. Not double-minded. What are the indicators of a pure heart? I think one of the easiest ones for me is, who are you when no one else is watching? That's what a pure heart is. You know, when no one else is looking, when no one else is, is judging you, when you're not putting on a show for anybody else, who are you? Are you the same in that moment as you were before that moment? And uh, I was thinking about, you know, the, the scripture says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, the pure of heart, Pastor Peter was talking about the evidence of the Holy Spirit's fruit in our lives this morning when we were preparing and praying. And uh, that's part of a pure heart. You know, the evidence that is seen coming out of you. And it's kind of like, you know, when you squeeze something, what comes out? When you squeeze an, squeeze an orange, you should get orange juice. And when your life gets squeezed by the pressures of this world, what is coming out of your life? That's an indicator of the pureness of heart. And that's very good. All of us want to have a pure heart. So we've got this, you know, clean hands, the outward acts of sin, inwardly the pure heart, a people that are idle free. Our text said it this way, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. The word lift up literally means to worship or to put your trust in. So what are you lifting up your soul to? That's why, you know, I think it's in Psalm 25, 1 says, to you, O Lord... I lift up my soul. What he's saying is, Lord, I trust in you. I worship you. You are my center. You are the center of my life, and everything flows from you. And so this is the intent. But how many of us know we all can have different centers? God, God is a center that many people have. But how many of you know there's all kinds of things that you can center your life on? There's all kinds of things that you can lift up your soul to. Money is a great example. I was in Fort McMurray as a pastor, and Fort McMurray, of course, was the economic engine of Canada for a while. And I'll tell you, there was a lot of people that were lifting up their soul to money and putting their trust in, worshiping, all those things that happen. We can put our, you know, our, our lift up our soul to houses, to jobs. You know, you can lift up your soul to your family. I've seen parents lift up their souls to their kids. Their whole lives are ruled by their children. I've seen children who's, who's lifting up their souls to their parents. They have an expectation of their parents to be the provider for them, even when they're in their adult years. 
Are you following me? There's all kinds of things that you can lift up your soul to. And it's very simple for me. You ask the question of yourself, if you're honest, where are you spending your time? Where are you placing your talent? And where are you investing your treasures? If you answer those questions, it'll tell you what you're lifting your soul up to. What's your testimony? What are your words declaring when you're, you're talking? These things, time, t- testimony, treasure, all these things are indicators of what we're putting our trust in, what we're worshiping, what we're holding our soul up to. I don't know about you, but I'm going to tell you, this list is getting heavier and heavier. <laughs> the list is getting harder for me, to be honest, that am I really trusting in the Lord? Am I really, am I really centering my life? Can I really ascend the hill of the Lord? Can I really come into a relationship with God? Can I really grow closer to Him? How am I doing on the list? I feel like I'm falling down on a lot of these things. And the last one is a people who do not give false testimony how they deal with both God and man and their covenants and their contracts with man is what it's talking about. In other words, what you say to God's face, you practice in your life. Not just your lips, but your heart. What you say to men's faces, you practice behind their backs. That's what that's saying. And so we have this invitation, you know, kind of to to make sure that we have, you know, don't give false testimonies in our life. And I feel like I'm shrinking in my seat. You know, here's the thing. I'm created by a creator to have a relationship with God. I'm created to live in intimate fellowship and harmony with the Lord. I'm created to find him as the source of my life. And, 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 and I'm challenged by this list because I feel like I fall short. Which the Bible actually predicts, doesn't it? All have sinned and fall short of reaching the glory of God. Now... That wouldn't be so much of a problem, except that there's a result or a consequence that comes with that. And I was thinking about Isaiah 42, because it kind of lays out the consequence of trying to reach God, trying to reach God by this thing called the law, by my own efforts. This is what Isaiah 42, 21 and 22 says. It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. So we stop there just for a moment. The law of God is great and glorious. The law of God is good. The law of God reflects how mankind can reach up and come into a relationship with God. But we're going to fall short. And when we fall short, Isaiah 42 tells us what happens when we fall short. Listen to this. But this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons, They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot with no one to say, send them back. See, here's the problem of trying to reach God by our own effort. Here's the problem of trying to reach God by this thing called the law, by us reaching up to God, which, by the way, listen to me, by the way, that is the pursuit of every religion in the world. Every religion in the world says, if you do these things, you will reach God. But here's the problem, it doesn't work. You become plundered and looted, our text said. You know, 
Jesus said that rivers of living water will flow out of you. You know, that you will have life and have it to the abundance, have it to the full, until it overflows from your life. You know, the kingdom of God. Don't be afraid, little flock, for God is pleased to give you the kingdom, and the kingdom of God is righteousness, is peace, and is joy in the Holy Ghost. And, you know, if we're honest, we're saying, you know, I don't always feel that joy or have that peace in my life, so what's wrong? I'm telling you, maybe something's been ransacked from you or stolen from you. And this is what the text tells us is that the law is great and glorious, but these people, these people who are trying to live by the law, are plundered and looted. And then it goes on and talks about being trapped in pits. And that's that outward pit sin, that cesspool of the slippery slope of sin. You know, are you trapped by habitual sin that you can't break free of? Feeling like no matter how hard I work and no matter how hard I try, I always slip down. I remember as a kid, I used to fish in interior BC, and we used to fish, uh, and you'd have to climb kind of up a mountain and down a mountain a slope in order to get to where the river was, and uh, it was all good until it rained, and once it rained, it became extremely slick, and I remember one time, I was uh, climbing down the mountain, and I started to slide, and what you do when you're sliding down a mountain is grab onto anything you can find, which in the case of where I was in Interior BC was not wise because I ended up grabbing this thing called a devil's club. And a devil's club, if you've ever seen them, I don't know, that's what I called them as a kid. They have this like spiky spine all the way up and then a leaf that goes out. It's huge. Sometimes they're eight or nine feet tall and they have spikes under the leaf. So when you, guess what happens when you grab a hold of a spiked plant as you're pulling down away from that plant. Isn't that a picture kind of of sin? You know, we're in that slippery slope of sin and we're trying to get a foothold, we're trying to get free, and we grab a hold of something and it ends up biting us even worse. And that's the picture here. We're trapped in pits and, and, and so God, this is God's people. God is speaking to his people and he's saying, all of these people are plundered and looted. All of them are trapped in pits or some of them are trapped in pits and some of them are hidden away in prisons and that's inward sin. You know, people sometimes we think Christianity's not helping me the way I think it should help me. And maybe our thoughts and, and our minds are not as free as they need to be. We're not experiencing the freedom that God has for us and designed us for and desires for us. And that's that inward sin, that trapped in a prison of your thoughts, trapped by standards that you can't possibly live up to. Sometimes we come to church with a big smile and say everything's all right when really it's not. And I think that's kind of a picture at times of our lives, if we're really honest. When we try and we get on this treadmill, this hamster wheel of trying to reach God through our own efforts, thinking that's what God's wanting us to do. You know, we live that way sometimes, don't we? If I do A, B, C, then God will be happy with me because I've arrived at D. And we never get past A. (laughs) We can't do it. We weren't designed to do it. It's not God's intention. In fact, the law was designed as a taskmaster to lead us to Christ. It was meant to show us our need of a Savior. That the law was never meant to be the way to reach God. You can't do it that way. See, the saddest part of this text ends with these words, 
with no one to rescue them, no one to say, send them back. But thank God he gives us a solution. (laughs) The text goes on, it starts with the solution, and the solution starts with kind of this hint. It says, this is the Jacob generation. So he gives this list, clean hands, pure heart, idle free, not lying. And then he says, this is the Jacob generation, those who seek him who seek your face. See, generation can refer to a time period of people, or it can refer to a group of people that are following in the same pattern. Are you following me? So it can be any time. And so he's saying, this is the Jacob generation who seek him who seek his face. Well, let's, how did Jacob do on, on the laundry list <laughs> of the Jacob generation? Are you following me? That's the legitimate question to ask when we read this text because the text is holding up Jacob as the answer. Look, you're the generation of Jacob. You're just like him. And how did Jacob do on the clean hands, pure heart, idle, free, not lying? (laughs) Well, if you don't know the story of Jacob, you can read it in like Genesis 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. Well, his name means con man. Imagine naming your kid con man, (laughs) surplanter, deceiver. And trust me, he lives up to his name. So Jacob from a very young age is kind of a con man. He kind of lives up to his age. And so how does he do? You know, he deceives his brother into giving him his birthright. See, Jacob had a brother named Esau, and Esau was the firstborn. Esau comes back from hunting, and he's, he's famished. He's really hungry. And his brother has made this lentil stew, and he's like, give me a bowl of stew. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright for a bowl of beans. And Esau's like, what, what good is a birthright to me if I die of starvation, basically? And he gives up his birthright to his younger brother. Now, we may not think that that's significant, but oh my gosh, God in heaven shuddered as he did it. Because the very blessing of the lineage of God was coming down on Esau, which he then sold for a bowl of beans to his brother. Are you following me? So how's how's Jacob doing on the list? Well, he lies and deceives his brother. Then he lies to his father in order not not only to steal his birthright, now he wants the firstborn blessing. See, the father, before he dies, he's to bless his sons, and he blesses the oldest son with the firstborn blessing. So Isaac, he can't see very well. He's blind, as a matter of fact. And he calls his son in for the blessing. He tells his son, go make me some venison stew, then come and I'll bless you. His son goes out to to find some wild venison, and guess what happens? Jacob dresses up like his brother. He wears his brother's clothes so he smells like his brother. He, He actually tapes and glues sheepskin to his arm because his brother was hairy. That was Esau's name, what it meant, hairy. So, you know, when, when he comes in, imagine Isaac can't see. So he says, well, it, you know, it smells like my son. It feels like my son, but it sounds like my other son. I, I'm, I'm confused. No, it's me, father. It's me, father. You know, he's changing his voice. He's trying to get to sound like his older brother, and he steals the blessing of the Lord. So you understand, he's lying He's deceiving, so he's not doing very well on the list, is he? Jacob, our founder of our generation. As a matter of fact, you know, he goes on, he runs away from his father and his brother who's going to, you know, his brother is very upset because he's stolen these things. 
He goes to a land where his uncle's there, and his uncle Laban, he's, he's a piece of work. And uh, he, 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 he's trickier even than Jacob. Remember, Jacob's in love with his daughter Rachel, and, uh, but Le- Leah's a bit older, but he thinks that he's marrying <laughs> Rachel, and he goes to the... Remember, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have lights. He has the wedding banquet. He goes to the wedding bed. He, he wakes up in the morning, and lo- whoo, he's not with Rachel. He's with the older sister, Leah, that he's worked seven years to earn the right to marry. So he's been deceived. Are you following me? This guy's whole life is in this deception and trying to control things. So he has to work another seven years in order to be able to marry Rachel. So these two sisters he marries. And how many of you know he makes an idol out of his wife, Rachel, that creates so many problems in his, in his family? It's crazy. And so this guy's not doing very well on the Jacob generation list. <laughs> He's kind of falling down on every single one of them. Are you following me? He doesn't have clean hands. He doesn't have a pure heart. He does not, he's deceptive. He's not idol free. He's lifted up his soul to other things besides God. Anybody kind of relate to Jacob? And here's the crazy thing. Yet God blesses him. And God establishes his covenant with him. You say, how can that be possible when we just read the list? There's something that Jacob does that changes everything. And it's this. He throws himself at the mercy of God. And he cries out to God. He becomes, if you want to say, a man of prayer. (laughs) See, we won't, we'll fast forward the story a little bit. So understand, he's ripped off his brother 20 years earlier. Esau stole his birthright, stole all kinds of things from him. Now he's gone to his father-in-law, Laban's, and he's worked for him for 14 years. He's amassed great wealth, but his brother, father doesn't wanna, father-in-law doesn't want to let him go. So he flees from his father-in-law. While he's fleeing, his wife Rachel steals the idols, steals the idols from her father-in-law. It's a crazy story. So then the father-in-law is chasing him this way. Are you following me? And he's going toward his homeland, toward where his brother is. And his brother hears that he's coming. And he's coming at him with eight, no, 400 armed men. How many of you know that when you're, when you're a deceiver and you've, got, you've kind of worked out your whole world and you've got everything, you know, you've, you've, you've twisted this. And you, how many know it always comes back to you at one time? Sooner or later, you're going to, you know, it's kind of like the hen is going to come to roost. Sooner or later, you're going to pay the piper. And this is what's happening. His brother's running, racing toward him to destroy him. His father-in-law's chasing him, and he's like, what do I do now? He divides his family. It's a terrible story, but he actually puts the, the wife that he doesn't like as much out front. So if she gets wiped out, I still have the wife that I like more at the back. It's a, I know, it's a crazy story. But then he's alone. He's left alone with God. And guess what he does? He starts to cry out to God in prayer. God, you created me. God, you told me that you would bless me. My father-in-law's chasing me down. My brother's coming to kill me. God, you got to help me. He does one thing. He doesn't live up to the list. But he throws himself at the mercy and the feet of God. He prays and he prays and he's alone. 
Everything's been stripped away. He could lose everything in a moment. And he's praying. And suddenly a man appears and he starts to wrestle with this man. Imagine it's pitch black. And this guy, you're alone. And suddenly you're wrestling with a guy. It's kind of a freaky story. All night long, he's wrestling with this guy. And, and the guy's like, you need to let me go. And he, and he says these incredible words. I will not let you go until you bless me. And he keeps wrestling. And finally, the guy's like, dude, you need to let me go. I will not let you go until you bless me. And then finally, the man says, dude, the sun is about to come up. And if you see me, it's not going to go well for you. Because you've been wrestling with God. I'm paraphrasing. And he says, he says, just so you know that I could plant you in the ground at any time. He literally just touches his hip and he can't walk anymore. I will not let you go. Are you following me? And this is what makes Jacob of the Jacob generation who we need to pay attention to. Because he's saying, everything's going wrong around me. I've tried to control everything. Nothing's working. But I can hang on to God. I can cling to the king. And I can receive the blessing of the Lord. It's all I have. And God says, I'm impressed by this man. (laughs) Because he trusts me. In spite of the fact that he doesn't live up to any list. And this is what God is saying to us. We live in a world right now, guys. Everybody's trying to control things. Wear masks, don't wear masks. Sanitize, don't sanitize. Six feet apart, six feet apart. I don't care. You understand, everything's about control. Everything's about fear right now. Fear and control, fear and control. And God is like, when will you turn to me, stubborn mankind? When will you turn to me and cry out to me in this hour? When will you say, God, if you don't deliver us, we will not be delivered? This is our only hope. That we would become a people of prayer. This is the hope. This is the cry of God. And what happens, listen to me, church, when you become a person who clings to the king, who says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go, God, until you cease COVID and destroy it, God. I will not let you go until you establish righteousness in this land, God. I will not let you go, God, until you heal my family. That's what we have, church. And if you will do that, church, you know what happens? God changes you. And you become a man or a woman of clean hands and a pure heart. And you don't give false testimony. God begins to transform you as you play the only card you have to play. And if you play that card, listen to me, if you play cards, you understand this. It is the king of trump cards. The king of kings and the Lord of lords is trumps all things. You win every hand when you play the Lord of lords. You see, Jacob's name means con man, surplanter, and deceiver. But if you read Genesis 32, verse 27, whoever he's wrestling with, we know it's the angel of the Lord, says to him, what's your name? He says, my name's Jacob. Well, he doesn't get a chance because God says, your name is no longer Jacob. But Israel, it's no longer con man, but God who rules. It's no longer supplanter, but one who strives with God. It's no longer deceiver, but it's prince of God. 
And as we cling to the King Church, as we come to him in prayer, as we hang on to him, he makes us a people of clean hands and pure hearts. He changes our name when we wrestle with him. Church, listen, we're not wrestling with God enough. We're not wrestling with God enough. We're not hanging on. We're not saying, God, I will not let you go. God, I will not let you go. I can't let you go because there's nowhere to go. Are are you sick of the world as it stands right now? It's time to hang on to the Lord. It's time to come to the King of Kings. You see, because we need to be honest. We need to cry out to God. My father's my brother's coming to kill me. My father-in-law's chasing me. I've lied to him. I've deceived him. I've stole from him. God, you promised me that you would build a nation through me. God, forgive my sins. Rescue me. Don't judge me according to my actions, but judge me according to your mercy. How many of you know that's a good prayer? You know, I'm a tither. I've been a tither since the day I became a believer. Because I don't want to live under the world's economy. I want to live under God's economy. But how many, I'm going to tell you a little secret about when I tithe. I never hold up my tithe as to why God should bless me. I never do. I always say, God, I've been a tither because I believe in that, but Lord, just bless me according to your great mercy. Not according to my actions, not according to what I do, Lord, but according to what you've done, God. I don't want to hold up any legal standing with God except Jesus Christ. Are you with me? I don't want to hold up anything except Jesus And this is what the text goes on. You know, we can cry out to God, I've been plundered. I've got joy missing in my life. I will not let you go until you bless me. God, I'm in a pit. I'm in bondage to pornography, alcohol, money, fornication, food. Forgive me. I will not let you go until you change me. God, I'm in a prison of self-despair, of loneliness, of suicidal thoughts, of envy, of bitterness, whatever. I will not let you go until you bless me, God. I will not let you go, God. The text goes on what happens to us when we... Let the king of glory come in. You see, church, listen to me. There is one who lives up to the list. There is one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not give false testimony, who was a warrior in prayer, who was idol-less, who worshiped the Lord. You see, who can ascend the holy hill? No one is worthy except Jesus. Who can walk into the presence of God? Jesus Who can stand in God's presence? Jesus. Who can live up to the list? Jesus. And this is why the psalm goes on and says this. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory might come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. That if you will cling to the King, if you will hold up Jesus, you are the ancient doors. Listen to me. The Bible says that you now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the doors. And God comes and he knocks on the door of your heart and he says, won't you let me in? That you might have fellowship with me through my son, Jesus Christ. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But I will freely give it to you, O Jacob generation. Can you hear him? (laughs) O ancient doors. Can you hear him knocking? 
and all the things that you think, well, I can't do that until I fix this. I can't do that. Stop trying to reach God by changing yourself and just abandon yourself to him and trust in him today. This is the message of Psalm 24. It's not an accident that Jacob's name was placed there. We need Christ. You see, religion says the opposite. It says, change these things, then I will come in. But Jesus says something different. Let me in that I might change these things. Amen? I told you at the beginning that every religion is trying to reach God, climb the holy hill, but Christianity is the only religion in the world where God has reached man. (laughs) He came down and made a way where there was no way. Hallelujah. So here it is. Will you stop trying to reach God through your own religious efforts? And will you trust his son to deliver you, change you, and set you free? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Monica, come on on the keys now. And then I'm going to tell you about our prayer time in a moment. Hallelujah. It's a moment of honesty for all of us here. I've already had my moment with God this week. Uh, We have them every day, me and him. Where we, we get caught up in trying to live up to a list. To do everything we can instead of just trusting God and coming to Him daily, every day, every moment, believing in Him. If that's you here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I've been pursuing God based on having clean hands and a pure heart and an idol free and I, I, I keep falling down on the list. If that's you, I need you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Yeah, lots of us are raising our hands. My hand goes up too. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I want to trust in the King and I want to cling to the King and I want to become a greater person of prayer, trusting in God, throwing myself on the mercy of God, hanging on to God in spite of everything that's happening around me. I want to grow and mature in that reality. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand. Most of us are raising our hands right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Lastly, if you're here today and you've never made a decision to ask Jesus Christ, the King of glory, to come into your life, to forgive your sins, today's your day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow. Trust Him today. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life as my Lord and my Savior? If you're here today and God is pulling on the heartstrings of your life, Open the door. Let him in. Come into a relationship with him. Amen. Hallelujah.